Hi, everybody. Welcome back to episode six of the Fight in Progress podcast by Under the Shield. Here's our host, Susan Lewis Simmons and Ace Walker. Welcome. Hey, everybody. Welcome to podcast six. Uh, we're really happy to have you guys here. We're excited for this episode. This is our first live episode. Um, so get ready for all kinds of screw ups. This will be uh, enjoyable. <laughs> It's going to be our first Q&A session, so I reached out to a bunch of you on Facebook and uh, interdepartmentally, uh, just people that I could reach out to and try and get some ideas from both spouses and officers. And uh, I got a list of questions here, and I'm going to start throwing them at Susan, and I'll give a little bit of input from the officer's side, and we'll try and get you guys some good, useful information that you can apply to your lives and kind of give you a taste of what we do at Under the Shield as far as when you come to one of the counselors with an issue or with a question or with something that you're dealing with in your life and uh, how we try to process through that and move you towards a solution that you can sustain and something that you can make uh, your life better with. So uh, how's it going, Susan? You ready for some questions? It's going good, but we're going to, we're going to condition you to not say counselors and say stress coaches. Now you're going to freak people out yeah, if they think we're a counselor. <laughs> You'll get there eventually. Now, should I give him the buzzer because yeah. that, I, should, I can give him the buzzer if he does Yes. That. All right. I'm going to do that. Yes. Be careful. Let's, All right. let's buzz him when he, when he says trash can instead of garbage can. And <laughs> when he says counselor instead of stress coach, we're just going to bleep him out. <laughs> Words are hard. Perfect. Words are hard. <laughs> All, All right. right. I'm ready for these so questions. When you're ready. But I'm kind of set up here. <laughs> All right. Then let's jump in. I got uh, my first one out of an officer here in the Valley. Um, all right, let's start there. So he says, I work swing shifts, 1400 to midnight, just two to midnight. And when I get home, my wife is typically getting ready for bed. She's annoyed with me when I don't go to bed with her. Can you help me explain to my wife why I feel like I just can't lay down and go to sleep right away after a full shift? I feel like I need wind down time before I can lay down or sleep. I watch YouTube or play some stupid game for an hour or something. Help me. Absolutely. That's actually a very easy one because really what happens, and again, this is why our training for spouses is so important because if you think of someone on a normal work schedule of eight to five, how many people come home at five o'clock in the afternoon and go to bed? They don't. They're up for a few hours doing things, whatever it is that they haven't been able to do during the day that day or the weekend or whatever. Um, they're eating. They're kind of uh, shifting gears between work and home life. And so families have to understand that when y'all work those hours, it's the equivalent of any of the rest of us working nine to five, eight to six or whatever. And we don't come home and go straight to bed then. So it's just about educating them. Yeah, I can say do for sure. Do you have that problem? Me, yeah, I do the same thing. I work the same type of hours this guy does. And I have the same issue as far as not wanting to go to sleep when I get home. It's I, I'll stay up and either watch a show or answer emails or play a video game on my computer or whatever, just something for about an hour, hour and a half. Um, and then I start to really wind down and I get pretty tired and I go to bed. But yeah, coming right home and just going to bed, not even in the realm of possibilities for me. So what do you say to, to wives that feel like their husbands just, because I, I feel like I've had this conversation with some of my officers where they feel like their wives just don't understand and that they don't feel like they're paying attention to them or anything like that. It's, it's not about the wife. It's not about that relationship. It's just, we, we need a minute to wind down. A lot of times I know officers have like an hour of like, leave me alone time when they come home. Is that something that you suggest? Yes. 
Absolutely. Uh, this is another part of the training that we really emphasize is that it's easier to let the officer have some space when they first get home. I say it's like washing the day off. Let them shift those gears and they're going to be a lot happier and a lot friendlier. Now, what I have to say to the officer is, though, don't think if you've got a wife or a husband and kids that you get eight hours of downtime. Take the 30, 45 minutes, even an hour. Do what you need to do to shift gears and then go in. And this is a great opportunity to talk to spouses, especially about the day. If you've had a lot of adrenaline that day, even at the end of your shift, driving home tired and some crazy person out on the interstate is, uh, you know, running 80 and you're behind them and they hit their tail, their brake lights and the tail lights light up and you get that shot of adrenaline. You're going to need even more time to get that out of your system and kind of de-escalate. And they just need to understand this is part of this lifestyle, but nobody's ever educated them about this. So this is a golden opportunity for officers to educate families, just having a normal conversation. And again, when you tie it back to a normal day of what everybody else does Monday through Friday of eight to five or nine to six, again, nobody gets off work and goes home and goes to bed. Well, at least not normal people. No. All right. So let's jump to the next question. I think that covered it. All right. So another one here from a wife from an officer. How do I know what to look for in my husband's behavior to know he's doing okay? He's normally pretty talkative and seems to take things in stride, but I know that the job is hard and that that garbage can gets filled for everybody. What are some questions I can ask him that won't make him think I'm dissecting him? <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a pretty loaded question. There's what that is. Um, you know, the way we define stress at Under the Shield is change. You're looking for changes in behavior. And I don't mean normal mood swings. We all have those. But we're looking for major changes in people's personalities. If he's normally a talker and then all of a sudden, day after day, he's becoming quieter, uh, more withdrawn, more isolated, seems to be doing things lot more time on video games and we probably need to do an episode on video games <laughs> and how that impacts families um, but you're looking for that major change in their personality that's a that's a red flag right off the bat if they should start drinking more it's easier to tell a spouse what to look for that indicates problems than to tell them what means they're doing okay so when you're looking at things like uh, pulling away from the family, doing things that require you to not have to communicate as much with the family, watching TV, sitting with that remote, sitting with video games, sleeping less or more restless sleep, drinking more. Uh, these are, are red flags you definitely have to look for. Then you start to look at it from different perspectives also of even belief systems changing. They're becoming angrier. They are more critical of themselves or of the family. Um, becoming more negative, which this is an easy industry to become very cynical. And I tell officers and spouses all the time, 
The difference in cynicism and skepticism is very important. Skepticism seems negative to a lot of people in the public, but for this industry, it's a whole lot better than cynicism. I laugh and say it at our house when I was married to the DEA agent, cynicism was everybody's a dope dealer, everybody. And of course I say that in trainings and cops look at me like, and your point is, but that's a real negative attitude because we know that there are some people who are not dope dealers. So to have a skeptical attitude versus a cynical one, skepticism says maybe there's someone who's not. You're not necessarily going to bet the farm on it, but you're holding out hope. That has a bigger positive impact on the body, the brain, your environment. But when everything is bad and families need to pay close attention to cynicism, because it sends a real negative message from the brain to the body, the body goes negative and goes back to the brain. So we have to monitor those things that could be indicators that an officer's garbage can could be filling up pretty quickly with some major stuff. And certainly they can call us anytime at the 855 number and the stress coaches can help answer questions about whether someone's behavior is maybe normal for today's environment, because this is a, this is a different day and time in law enforcement with everything that's happening, all the criticism. And we would love for spouses to call us. We're more than happy to help out. Yeah, I think it's important when your spouse wants to talk to you, if they're concerned about you, that you express it. Um, I know that we can be kind of difficult sometimes, and sometimes we're very guarded. Um, I'm pretty open. <laughs> I never know when to shut up, but I know most officers aren't exactly that same way. Um, they might be a little more reserved, or they might feel like it's their burden to carry, um, and I totally get that. Uh, but there's there's got to be a line that you draw. you got to be able to share it with somebody. Um if you feel like it's not your spouse yet for whatever reason or your significant other, then reach out to a stress coach. But I, I can tell you personally, that's the one thing that saved me because I was just like you were explaining. I was angry and I was cynical mm -hmm. and it was it, it, it spread like an infection in my life. The officers on my squad, my family members, everybody around me kind of got infected with that negativity. Um, and that didn't help anyone, especially me. And let me say this too. Spouses have to be extremely patient with regards to picking a time to sit down with the officer. Don't, don't hit them as soon as they walk in the door. Tell the kids even, you know, give mom or dad a little bit of time to decompress and then say, when's a good time for us to be able to sit down and just have a conversation and let, look, law enforcement officers, hear me say this. Do not tell them we will talk about it later because that means never. Say, give me an hour. Let me go run. Let me go swim. Let me go take a shower. And then we will meet at the kitchen table or the back patio or wherever, and we will sit and talk. And also, I want to say to the law enforcement officers, I know that the majority of you have been taught in your academies, keep personal and professional separate. That is probably one of the funniest things that I hear in academies, but it's also one of the most detrimental things because I have couples on the couch here at Under the Shield all the time. And here's what it looks like. The wife says, Susan, he won't talk to me about this job. And I look at him and go, 
why won't you talk to her about this job? They told me not to in the academy. And I always laugh and say, well, how's that working for you? I understand law enforcement officers want to protect their families from the garbage that they see. And that garbage is in that psychological garbage can. But let me explain this to you. You may not bring it home in your words, but you will bring it home in your mood. And when you hit that door and you've had a bad day and you start snapping at us or at the kids, we take on that we have done something wrong when in reality it has absolutely nothing to do with anything we've done or said. Whereas if you would even call us on the way home, walk in the door, it's been a rough day today. Let me decompress, take a shower, and then we will sit down and talk about it. And if your kids are in the room and it's something you can't talk about or don't feel like the children need to hear, then explain to your spouse. Let's talk about this when the kids go to bed. And that should be a cue to the spouse. Something has happened that's not appropriate for the children to hear. And then be patient. The other communication skill is spouses always ask the law enforcement officer when they start to talk to you about something. Do you need me to listen or do you need me to fix it? 99.9% of the time, it's going to be they need you to listen. And this is the opportunity for them to dump the garbage. Do not pick it up. You do not have to process it. You do not have to fix it. You do not have to understand it. Don't interrupt and ask a million questions because you don't understand it all. You can be sitting there like I used to do and be thinking, I got to get ground beef out of the freezer. I've got to get one to hockey. I've got to get one to band practice. But look at them. Nod. Oh, yeah. Mm, uh-huh. Okay, whatever. But you don't have to understand it and let them say what they need to. Now, law enforcement spouses uh, or law enforcement officers, you are trained to be problem solvers, as we've talked about. Don't bulldoze through your front door and suddenly start trying to be the problem solver in your household. Listen and ask your spouse, do you need me to fix it or do you need me to listen? This is a two-way street. This has done more for law enforcement marriage communication. Just asking that simple question, what do you need from me? And I promise you it'll go a whole lot better for you. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, so there's another question in here that you kind of touched on there and it's, it's asking how can family members or spouses respond to stories of things officers are facing responding in a contrary or worried way I know isn't the best response. And in most cases, especially if the officer had to make a last minute choice that they may or may not be regretting. I feel like that touches on that because there are so many decisions that we make and it, it's hard, man. I mean, we're human and there are errors and there's there's margin for error in the job job that we do. They set it up for that. They know that it's humans, you know, enacting the law and making sure that it's enforced. Um, but there there are things that we do all the time that, you know, we we had the PC to arrest this guy, but it just it it bothered us that we took the dad away from the kids or whatever, even if he was a bad dude that hurt mom or whatever it is. There are things that we struggle with as far as those moral dilemmas where we can't really balance it out, but we just, we're, we're doing what we think is right. Um, I feel like that could be a real challenge for some uh, spouses to confront. I know with, with my wife, she's all interested in the stories and she just wants to hear them. 
there's there's not really any mm -hmm. feedback. So maybe I just got lucky. She naturally has that response. But I know in a lot of cases, they have a lot of questions or they might even question your actions. Um, and just from my perspective, I feel like that would be really counterproductive. And I know that you're you're an adult and a human and you have free choice as the spouse of that officer. And if you think they did something wrong, you might feel like it's your job or duty to speak out and say, hey, I don't think that was right. I don't know the right way to do that, but I, I can tell you right now on its face, they are going to get a, a little upset with you <laughs> if you if you confront them like that. And to, to expect that you think that you know what should have been done when you weren't in their shoes, that's a, that's some dangerous ground to tread on. Playing, playing devil's advocate will never earn you brownie points ever. And I know that in the past 28 years, I've dealt with numerous officers that have been in shootings, um, especially where it's fatal. And one of their biggest concerns before they go home is how is my wife going or husband going to look at me differently than they did because I've shot and killed someone. And I think a lot of that comes back to how much education and talking have you done prior to those critical incidents about what the reality of this job is? Um, I also have real heartburn when I have couples and the officer says, my spouse told me they don't want to hear about my job. That's an immediate issue that is going to be a problem from that point forward because officers are protective enough of their families. And then when a family member says, I don't want to hear about it, that's saying, I don't want to be a part of this lifestyle. That's never going to be healthy. Now, I don't expect every spouse to be okay with an officer coming home and talk about the brain matter was splattered on the wall. So it looked like Elvis. Some of us can handle those kinds of comments. And again, if they've been educated about the benefits of sick humor, again, officers don't be aware of your body cam. Don't do it in front of the media or the victim's family. But it is actually a very healthy tool because studies have even shown that when you use that sick humor, the body sends a message to the brain, this has no power over me. Now, we don't use sick humor where children are concerned. So those things do tend to fill up your garbage can. But spouses, if you are hearing more than what you really want to hear, there needs to be a conversation about you want to hear how your officer is affected, but you don't necessarily need the gory details. I, I don't personally understand that because I was all pretty much already ready for anything that uh, mine would have brought through the door, um, I guess, because I had some level of understanding about law enforcement even before I started under the shield. But again, these are, these are education and pre- uh, incident things that need to be talked about so that families know this is a real possibility because if they haven't seen it on the news, then nothing happened that day necessarily. Uh, that's not exactly the case. So we, we have to do a lot more talking before incidents happen. Yeah. And I think that keeping an open dialogue with your spouse, it it's, I think it's the natural way to, to kind of empty out that garbage can. Cause I know that we have the stress coaches mm -hmm. and I, I feel like that's supplemental. It's almost like, you know, like we talked about before how you, you exercise to stay fit. And, you know, if you get injured, you go to physical therapy, right? 
I feel like the idea of the stress coach, if you don't have a significant other, maybe that is the way that you handle that. That's the person that you talk to. But if you have the significant other, you have your wife or your husband, whoever you're with, and it's somebody that understands you or you know potentially understands you better than anyone else does. It's really a good way to keep that connection alive and open. And it really does keep everything healthy. If you're, if you're constantly talking about what's going on in your life and they're talking about those problems with them and you guys are able to meet on uh, common ground with those issues and at least understand what the other person is suffering through to a degree, I feel like it makes everything else healthy in your life because it opens up that healthy communication pathway. Um, I know for, for my marriage, that's, that's what saved it was, was being able to understand that communication was key above almost anything else other than like a common belief structure, you know? So the communication is huge. It's so important. And I'm just like Susan saying, I encourage you guys to listen to your officer when they come home and just let them kind of dump on you. You might maybe have some parameters, right? If you don't want the gory details, set out those parameters, at, not while they're telling you maybe, <laughs> but, you know, right after or maybe uh, the next day or something. Like, hey, you know, next time we talk about it, can you save the blood splatter for next time? But, but yeah, I think that that's, it's really relieving to know that they can come to you and trust you with their stories and their issues and not have you try to fix them and not have you try to, it's already done. There's nothing you can do about it. So they just, they're just trying to unload. And I feel like that's really, really well, helpful. And it makes you as the spouse, sorry, you as the spouse, so, so valuable in that officer's life. They appreciate that so much. I can tell you from personal experience, I appreciate my wife that much more knowing that I'm able to go to her and tell her anything that happened in my day and know that she's just going to sit there and pat me on the back and not say a word. Like there's something so valuable about that. I can't really touch on it more than that, but that's, it's very special. Well, and anytime a law enforcement officer or spouse calls us, our stress coaches, we encourage them to open up to their spouse. We, we don't, say, you know, we're the end all be all and you just need to talk to us and not to them. Our goal is always to get them talking to each other. And even in session, if I see a couple and I see them individually, I also tell them, I don't, it's not my job to repeat the things you've said to me, to your spouse. My job is to get you to a place where you can talk to the other one about it because we know that's what's healthier. Yeah. Yeah. So moving from our spouse, we have a question here about relationship from an officer to a child, um, to their own children. So okay. let me find it here. So how much detail should we disclose to our children about the things that we may be facing personally or professionally when it comes to this job? What do you think? Well, that's all about age appropriateness. Um, you know, with children, little ones, you have to put it in a vocabulary that they can understand. And we have to remember that their vocabulary is very limited. I can give you a prime example. Um, asking questions is probably a better approach for the officer to the child. And my son is absolutely going to wring my neck, but I tell this story in training. <clears throat> but my 30-year-old son, who is a former Marine, when he was about three, maybe four years old, we lived in a neighborhood with a cul-de-sac and I let him play outside in the front yard. I felt safe. I had educated him about strangers. So we put it to a test and we had someone come out that he did not know. And I'm watching out the front window and I think we got this thing covered. 
and the car barely slows down and Marshall climbs in the front seat. And I go running out there and snatch this kid out of the car. And I'm like, Marshall, what are you doing? This is a stranger. And he looks at me and he goes, no, mama, he doesn't have two heads. And my first thought was, what's your father been telling you? Because <laughs> I knew I hadn't said that. And then my second thought in processing through everything I'd said to him was I told him about people being two-faced. So as this adult talking to my child, I'm the authority. You listen to what I tell you. And all I had to do is say, after all my conversations about strangers, okay, Marshall, what does a stranger look like? And he would have said they have two heads. And I would have said, uh, no, we need to start all over again. So asking questions will give you a better understanding of what it is they need and what they're looking for. Um, I also know that that law enforcement officers kids in the past have been known for things like going to friends houses and the parents may not know each other real well and one spouse will say to the child um you know what does your daddy do or what does your mommy do and out of the kid's mouth comes he shoots people or she shoots people <laughs> and it makes for an interesting conversation um so to me with little ones, it's always about what do you think my job is? What do you think mama does? What do you think daddy does? And find out what they need to know. And then as it, they become older, we need things to be more age appropriate. The, the worst thing that can happen is to wind up with an 18 year old son or daughter with a five year old understanding. And that just comes from the way you communicate and, and really just asking questions. What is it they want to know about your job? They'll ask the hard questions, I promise you. So don't spend too much time talking at them. Talk with them. And you'll be shocked at what you find out because most of the time they you'll give them way more information than they want. And they'll be like, well, I'm sorry I asked that question. <clears throat> so find out what it is that they want to know about your job. So I know for me, my kids are pretty young, but with older kids, teenagers, people that uh, that may have kids that are old enough to understand what's going on in the world to some degree and to what their job might entail. Um, do you find it's helpful to give them all the details similar to like a spouse or do you find that that can create a problem between the child and the parent? Well, and again, this is all kind of uh, on a case by case basis. And again, another opportunity they can call us that would be more than happy to answer those questions. But I know that we do have to warn our children about just telling anybody and everybody what their mom or dad does, the law enforcement officer. Uh, I've had officers in the past. Matter of fact, in our household, it was discussed about basically lying to the children or about what their dad did until they got to an age uh, that we thought was appropriate, but we could never agree on what that appropriate age was. And I wasn't a real fan of saying, okay, dad's a traveling shoe salesman. And then when they're 16 years old go, oh, by the way, we've been lying to y'all this time. Um, it it kind of yeah. sends a bad message. And so you do have to warn them. Um, it, it's not always the most pleasant conversation and it can certainly create issues. I know with our children, when they had the contracts out on them, when they were four and seven, um, I had to show them pictures of the person that wanted to hurt them. And I couldn't protect them against things that they knew nothing about. 
And of course, we put things in place at schools and all of those types of things. But, um, you know, teenagers especially are not going to be real big about running around and bragging about mom and dad, the cop, because their friends are going to probably shy away from them. It's the younger ages that they're really proud of you. And those are the ones that are, are going to be quick to, yeah, my daddy's a, a policeman or my mama's a policewoman. And they have to understand that's just not information they can share. And when you tell them that, you need to ask them, do they understand why? Yeah. So it's a, it's a kid by kid, age by age conversation. Some can handle more information than others. Uh, but you also have to remember their imaginations can be far worse than anything that you could probably share with them on a day to day basis. Yeah, I feel like the more knowledge I give my kids, the better equipped I, they seem to be. Mm -hmm. And I know that just like mm -hmm. you were saying, they're younger um, and they're all proud that their dad's a cop. He's, you know, a hero or whatever. They want to tell everybody they get really excited about it. And so we had to explain to them. And for those of you who have little kids and are confused about how to have this conversation, um, I'm not about to drop a bunch of wisdom on you. I'm just trying it out. I don't know if it's failed yet. Um, but with us, we were we just try to feed them as much knowledge as we can. So we explain to them what dad does. We explain to them that there are people out there that don't like police officers or who are upset at police officers right now. And they might not always be, but they're upset right now. And that when somebody finds out that their mom or dad is a police officer that they might get upset at them so i don't i try not mm -hmm. to tell my kids to lie or tell anybody that they're you know their dad's a garbage man because they all know i'm an officer and i don't want to inspire my children to lie that's a personal choice i know other people it's a white lie whatever that and that's a decision for you to make for your family and i pass no judgment whatsoever but for me i i want my kids to feel like it's nothing to be ashamed of there's just consequences when you speak out loud and sometimes they're unintended consequences. And sometimes somebody makes a bad decision and is mean to somebody because of something else. So that's how I explained it to my kids. And they seem to react pretty well to that. They could understand that. They couldn't really understand why people didn't like police other than like if they're a bad mm -hmm. guy. And that's kind of a hard bridge to cross with them because not everybody who dislikes police are bad guys. But it's it's like you're right. saying, the, the vocabulary of a child is pretty small. So we kind of had to stop there and we'll educate further as they get older. But that's about the best we could do. So if that helps, I. Yeah. Sometimes saying that you work for the government because their, their peers, their friends at that age don't know enough to ask, Oh, what government or what kind of government they, Oh, okay. They work for the government, big deal. And they move on. Uh, we, that's kind of what we used to say to it, even at parties <clears throat> in places where we didn't necessarily know, a lot of the people, you know, what line of work is your husband in or what do you do? And he would always say, I work for the government. Some people knew enough to say, oh, you know, what what branch or what division or whatever. But most people let it go with that. So, it, again, it's just about about what the child can handle, what their vocabulary can understand. But anytime you finish a conversation with them about it, you need to turn in and say, so tell me now what all you got out of our conversation. Tell me what you heard. Because, again, you don't want the two-headed stranger <laughs> because somebody is two-faced to be the miscommunication. Right. <laughs> Wasn't one of my prouder moments, let's put it that way. And well, we do have a stress coach that is, a, is kind of our child and teenage specialist. Um, she's here in the Valley, but I can certainly put 
people in touch with her. Um, she was a therapist up in New York and her, her name is Patricia Grudy and she is outstanding. Um, of course I trained her like all the stress coaches, but she is a wealth of information when it comes to issues with kids and teenagers and does a fantastic job and she's happy to answer questions also. Right on. Um, all right, let's jump into the next question. So this is one that I was actually excited to answer. I'm sure you'll have some information as far as spouses, but I'll jump into it. So I work patrol and I work normal 40 hours a week. After my shift, I like to work out at the gym for usually an hour. And every couple of weeks, I like to go into work a couple hours early and hit the firing range for practice. I'm new to my job and my wife consistently gets annoyed and gives me annoyed reactions when these things happen. Text messages after work asking if I'm done yet when 20 minutes is definitely not enough to get a workout or even ignoring me all week and then telling me she wants me around when I start packing for the range. I've tried to explain this to her that it's part of my job, but I feel like she just doesn't get it. I tell you, the, I think the hardest part and having been a spouse, I think the hardest part um, in the relationship is when one feels like the other one is kind of lecturing or trying to control the environment. And again, this is where the training is so important because having been a spouse, it's easy for me to stand up there and say to the spouses, you need to have a level of understanding of the importance of things like firearms and being out on that range, being in a gym, but when the law enforcement officer is saying it to the spouse and the spouse has a different point of view, it becomes a battle of the wills and it never fails in our class where the spouses come. I will say something and you'll see the law enforcement officer nudges spouse and a few minutes later, I'll say something else and you'll see the spouse nudge the law enforcement officer <clears throat> and they'll come up on the break. This has happened as long as I've been teaching this class. They will come up on the break and go, Susan, why is it that we can say the same things to each other that you're standing up here saying, but we won't listen to each other, but we'll listen to you. And I say, it's because I don't have a dog in that fight. I have nothing to gain one way or the other about whether or not they do it. It's not going to impact my personal life. I do it because I care about the families and about the officer and the spouse. But the reality is I've been there. I've done it. I understand. And this is where we have to teach people the balance of it. You know, my question would be, is there a way for the spouse to go to the gym with the officer? So many gyms nowadays have childcare. Is there a way for the spouse uh, and the law enforcement officer? Maybe that's date night. Go out on a range. Your spouse needs to be out shooting also. And I've been real tickled at the couples that I've seen that all of a sudden the wife will say, I've been wanting to go to the range with him. And he looks at her in complete shock and goes, I had no idea that even mattered to you. I know we had a little incident mm -hmm. with you and yours about a gun. Yep. <laughs> and and you, you made a bad decision <laughs> that you had no idea you were making a bad decision about. But, you know, let's find a way to incorporate the family. I'm not saying every day. But, you know, periodically, these are things that spouses and, and the families need to be a part of also, and it's a way to do it together. Yeah, 
in my experience with that problem, kind of like you were saying, so I, I didn't understand that she had a desire to even do that. So we ended up buying her a new firearm and I took it out to the range before she ever got a chance to shoot it. She was way more upset. I, I thought that was, I was like, I didn't even know you cared. And she totally cared. Um, so again, communication is key. Yeah. But when it comes to training outside of work, um, so some departments are very blessed and they give you paid gym time. That is amazing if mm -hmm. your department does that. I hope all departments come around and do that for their officers because I personally think once you put on that badge and you swear the oath, you, you lose any kind of free will to be out of shape. You, you lose your, your, your reason to be out of shape. It's, it's not just you that you're caring for anymore. It's your, it's your squad mates. It's the people out there on the street who are calling for you. It's all kinds of stuff. Your family now. So I think that's huge. And I think that, um, I think you're right. I think spouses feel like we're, or at least from my own experience, I feel like they feel left out or like less important that I'm willing to spend all this time at work. And then still, instead of coming home and seeing them for the little time that I can, I'm going to go to the gym and lift some weights or whatever. Um, and I can get that from another perspective that can feel like a totally unimportant thing when they could be spending time with you because it's precious. The time is precious. They don't know if they're going to lose you or they don't know based on the pressures of your job, how it's going to go. So I can understand that. And I, I agree. If you can get to the gym together, that's awesome. That's better. Anyway, uh, you motivate each other, you push mm -hmm. each other harder. Um, but if that's not possible to you know, do hike day, do something, keep them involved. Um, if you're, I, I think personally, I think we both kind of neglect each other. If, if that kind of communication is happening where they're upset that you're going to the gym, which is something that's clearly good for both of you, right? It's good for you to be healthy and they benefit by you looking better and being in a better mood. But it's, we don't, we don't tend to look, we don't tend to see that when we feel neglected. And I feel that if that's what's happening, it's not really the gym that's the problem. There may be something else going on that's causing that in the, in the relationship, um, that that's just an after effect. So you might want to look deeper than just solving the gym problem. But also with the range, uh, to all the spouses, I'm a training freak. I love training. I'm a DT instructor. I love firearms. I'm on our part-time SWAT team. I am obsessed with training and staying capable. Um, and I'm sure my wife loves that. <laughs> but I, I am a huge advocate of staying sharp, just like you lose the right to be out of shape. You lose the right to not be prepared. Um, when we talk about carrying every day, it's another question we're going to get to next. But when we talk about carrying all the time, always being on. Uh, Susan, you said it last episode. Just because you're off shift doesn't mean the criminal's off shift. They think you're on because they're on. And you don't know what's going to happen. And yeah, I know. I get it. Chances, chances are low that something's going to happen while you're out with your family at a restaurant. There's a line that's existed for years and years and years for reasons, right? Like the reason the Bible's been around for 2000 years, it's good stories. They mean something. Same thing with this saying, better to be prepared and not need it, right? Better to need it and not have it. What is it? Have it and not need it, than need it and not have it, right? So I think Absolutely. that's the same with training. You can talk about a gun or you can talk about training. They're both totally essential for what we do for those tiny, tiny percentage of times where it really, really matters. So if those issues are coming up in your marriage, work on your communication. I'm sure that'll help. And also try to have that conversation with them on how important this is to you. And I find that when you communicate that, it also becomes important to them. Well, and I'll tell you another reason that I think those things happen. I think a lot of times the spouse feels like 
that the law enforcement officer is getting all this downtime to do the things that they find fun or helpful to them. And I think we, the law enforcement officers, a lot of times neglect that the spouse might need that same type of time, uh, especially when you have young children, <clears throat> you know, especially working moms. Uh, the hardest job in the world and the most important job in the world is a stay-at-home mom, absolutely far and above anything else. And when you have constant full responsibility and in law enforcement families, the non-law enforcement officer typically is the main provider for the children. It's just the nature of the beast. Sometimes they need a break from that. And, you know, the law enforcement officers come home and it's, you know, I've been listening to problems all day and I've been doing this and being barked at and whatever, and I need to come home and de-stress. And I can remember sitting there thinking, and when is my time? Because I've been dealing with kids all day that barely, you know, were talking English to me that I could even understand them at such a young age. I, I need adult companionship time. I need time to do things that make me a better wife, a better mother. And so I think sometimes it's okay, let's let's negotiate and compromise. Marriage should be one big negotiation and compromise, not one person always getting their way. So it's okay, I get I go to the gym this time when I get home or on my off day. What is it that I can do so that you can get out and do what helps you kind of feel better and rejuvenate? And everybody's gonna be better for it. But I think sometimes that gets lost because I think sometimes people think staying at home with children is really easy. And let me assure, especially you men, <coughs> we lost you there, Ace, that um, uh, mothers that are staying at home with children, we are not laying on the couch, watching soap operas, eating bonbons, or hanging out by the pool just because you might come home uh, at lunch or something and the kids are in the pool and you're outside watching to make sure they don't drown doesn't mean that that's what we do all day is just lounge out by the pool. I don't know who they think is cooking and cleaning and picking up dry cleaning and carpooling and all these other things. But a study was done by the FBI many years ago and it took a stay at home mom <clears throat> tied all the different responsibilities and jobs to it and then put a salary to it of a quarter of a million dollars. Let's, you know, and now who knows what it would be today. That was many, many years ago, but I thought that makes a really good point about that stay at home mom for the most part. I'm not saying there aren't stay at home dads. There are, but it's, it's a, it's more than a full-time job. And a huge salary would be attached to it if you paid people to do all of those jobs. And then some are full-time moms and full-time employees. When is the downtime for them? Just because they're at home with kids or get, you know, come home before you do doesn't mean they've had downtime. Try to negotiate, compromise those things, figure out how everybody can get what they need. And I just think that's too important. <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely been successful the, the few times that I've employed it in my own marriage. But just offering to take the kids to school, even on a night when I worked before, right? And I go to bed at 1.30 and I'm only going to be getting six hours of sleep. I can come home and take a nap. It's it's good to help out. It's good to show that you're involved. Um, I know that going through, there was a, there was a part in my marriage. I'm going to get personal here for a second, guys. There's a part in my marriage where 
Um, I didn't realize that I had been neglecting my relationship for a long time. And I started to come to that realization. And I realized that I had not made the connection with my kids that I thought I had made. And I, th I hadn't made that connection with my wife. And I started to, um, and I didn't know how to solve that. That's, that is how I found you, Susan, was that I started to kind of spiral down this, I failed idea because I wasn't making connections with my family and I wasn't as involved as I should have been. Um, and I thought I was being a good dad until I started to really reflect on it. So don't, don't work your way that far down that road. Uh, realize that you can always be more involved. There's always more that you can do to make yourself better and to be a better member of your family, better spouse, better father, and try and figure out what works for you in your, your family dynamic and how you can fit that into your schedule and your abilities and where you kind of shine, right? Because everybody's a little different and you offer something different to your family than I do to mine. So figure out what that is and fulfill that because at some point that need is going to come up and it, you're going to wish that you had uh, put the time and effort into that. And I, I guarantee you, personal experience. And let me say this, we would rather have five good minutes with you than eight bad hours. <clears throat> Focus on quantity time, not quality time. Uh, other way around, sorry. Quality time, not quantity time. Yeah, I, I didn't get much sleep. I was on the crisis line most of last night. So my brain's not quite hooked up. Uh, but anyway, so make sure it, We again, we would rather have you there engaged with us for five minutes than yelling, screaming, criticizing, all of that stuff for eight hours. And that's why that decompression time is so important. That's why the gym time is so important. Because when spouses start dictating to each other, one takes a parent role over the other one. And this can be detrimental on so many fronts. And this is something I'm sure we will cover uh, the month of October when we start to talk really about law enforcement families and relationships. But I can tell you when spouses start dictating to each other and take a parent role, one of the very first areas that's very vital that's impacted is sex. And so on one of our episodes, we'll be talking about the impact of that on a relationship and how I, the way I kind of tease it for trainings is I'm going to teach you how to have more sex with your spouse than you thought possible. And I've had people challenge me on that before they were like, well, I'm going to try what you say, but I'm not sure I'm going to, that I'm buying into this. And I remember one deputy in a class many years ago, and that's what he said to me. He says, I'm going to try it, but I'm not sure you know what you're talking about. And the next week I got an email from him and in all capital letters, all it said was I'm exhausted. <laughs> and, and I immediately emailed back and said, please don't email details. Don't need details. <laughs> so that's something we'll talk about because it's important for uh, law enforcement families, especially because of the lifestyle that we have two partners in, in equal footing or on equal footing. One may walk ahead and pull the other one along during difficult times but you never take the hierarchy of parent to child. And what I, the, the way I tell law enforcement officers to know if that's what's happening is if you are about to say to your spouse, something you would say to your child, don't do it. Don't do it. And I hear these things all the time. I tell my wife what she needs to know. 
And again, in October, we'll get into some of those stories and how that backfired on some people and it doesn't work really well. So we're, we're going to continue that conversation down the road. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I know that's something you wanted to mention in this episode, so I'll cover it a little bit, is the entire month of October, um, all four or five episodes, I'm not, I haven't looked at the calendar of how many weeks are in there, but all the episodes we do in October are going to be dedicated to the family. We want to talk about officers' relations to family, the, the spouses, um, talking about kids. So we're going to go way in depth on the, some of these topics that we've touched on just on the last couple of questions. It's really, really important. It's what makes you a good officer, right? Is being able to balance all those things. If you can't balance, it's going to consume you. Um, even if you're good at your particular job, it can, it can eat you alive, man. So it, we want to dedicate a whole month to that. We think that's really important. Um, all right. So I'm going to throw Especially another question at you, Susan. You ready? One other thing, especially we want to talk about the impact of things like Portland, Seattle, those types of things, you know, the drive-by shootings at the officers' homes up in Camden. Families are very much being impacted, and we want to talk about that, too, because I think it's important that we begin to educate families a lot more on those things. Yeah, no doubt. All right, so... I got two more questions for you that I want to hit on this episode and then we can we can close it out. But this first one, it was something we touched on on the last topic. Um, this is this comes from a concerned spouse of an officer, um, a wife. And she says, why does my husband carry a weapon around all the time with him? I just don't feel like it's necessary or even good sometime. Um, and then she says, uh, can you help me understand this? So at, at least she wants to understand it. I feel like this could be um, a big issue for some couples if they have a totally different belief system on this. Uh, this could be pretty problematic because I feel like often you have that darn thing with you all the time. Um, and I don't disagree, but I'll let you go first. Well, here's what I say when I'm asked that question in classes. If your husband or wife was a doctor, would you have an issue with them always having their medical bag with them? No. Or if your husband or, or wife is a firefighter, do you object to the fact that they make sure that there's a fire extinguisher in every vehicle and in every room in the house or whatever? No, the gun is a tool of the trade. That's all it is. And just because officers come across as paranoid, we say it under the shield, paranoid means prepared. And I have had to deal with officers in the past where they were out with their families and they were not armed and things went bad. And that is not a good position for the officer because it's very hard to help them process through what they should have been doing. And I don't understand a spouse who objects to not. Now, if you're walking around carrying a 50 cal, a 308 and an AR-15, I'm probably gonna have a little bit of an issue with that. But the reality is to be armed all the time just means you're prepared. And I don't see the big deal. Most officers I know that are armed all the time, which I highly recommend, even in my office, I tell them, bring a gun in here. That doesn't bother me in the slightest. I've got them all over the office. Uh, and if somebody should happen to come in, I'd rather y'all deal with it than me anyway. But I don't understand why they're so bothered by that when most of the time it's concealed and it isn't something that they're flashing around. But if it makes your law enforcement officer feel more confident um, and also the fact that they're prepared, 
why is that an issue? I've never understood spouses having that problem because it doesn't make sense to me. And I know one of the things too, that Lieutenant Colonel Grossman has talked about in his trainings was his dad was a police officer and his mother knew her place when they were walking, wherever they were, was always on his non-gun side. She never got in the way or interfered with, should he have to draw his weapon? And I think that's something that every spouse should do. Uh, one other thing, talking about Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, I wanted to mention a minute ago, is also with children. He has a phenomenal book out, actually two for children. One is called Sheepdogs. The other one is Why Mommy Carries a Gun. And I would highly encourage law enforcement officers to get these books for their kids because it's a great explanation because sometimes children don't understand why their parents are have guns with them all the time either. And I think it's important for the kids to understand it as well. That this is just a tool of the trade and a way of being cautious. And the reality is, is you are on duty 24 seven. You're not necessarily policing 24 seven, but you are always a law enforcement officer. I wish it wasn't that way, but that's reality. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that, uh, having that conversation is really important because for me, especially I, I have, I'm wearing a gun right now and I'm shooting a podcast. So like I completely understand the spouse that has it all the time, always within reach a couple in the house or whatever. Um, if you have the means and you have a couple in your house, good for you. Um, not all officers are making great money nowadays, but, um, I'm a huge believer in just like I said before, training, staying prepared, those kind of things, talking about emergency plans, I don't feel like it's any different. We prepare for the worst. If you wear a seatbelt in the car, I can make the same argument for why you carry a gun. It's you, you, you prepare for the chance that something terrible happens, right? Nobody plans on terrible things happening. We plan for them. So mm -hmm. I think that it's really necessary when you have a trained officer to give him the tools to do the things that we've trained him to do. Um, you know, and, and not all officers keep up their skills and I would advocate all of you to keep up your skills because I think it's key and that you lost your right not to. But I think that as a spouse, if it's something that you're concerned about, if, it, if the firearm is what makes you uncomfortable, if you, like me, I came from California, I didn't have a gun until I became a cop. Um, I didn't even know how to hold one, right? So like, other than like watching a video game, um, and now I'm, you know, I'm modestly decent. Uh, <laughs> but it's, we train these guys to work hard and to be dangerous when they need to be and to be able to protect the people around them, right? Themselves, others, strangers, that's what they're willing to do. And when they're not prepared for that, and this is to you officers too, who don't think you need to carry one, I would argue with you and I have a bone to pick. Yes. So I think that it's your duty to carry that weapon and to be prepared at all times. And if mm -hmm. the spouse doesn't understand that, if you're having difficulty explaining that to your spouse, Take them out to the range, try and get them comfortable with a gun if they're willing to do that. If they're not, then you can sit down and have a discussion about the firearm, how it works, all those things. Make them more comfortable with the firearm. I feel, I feel like that's key to opening that door first is making sure that they know that guns don't just sprout legs and start going off in your house, right? So solve that problem first. And then I think secondarily, you, you want to go over how important it is that you're prepared. Um, that's all we do all day. We talk about running scenarios in your mind on the way to a call. You talk about running trainings all the time, talking about things in briefings. We do debriefs. We talk about things before we go. We go, we talk about them on scene, and then we go back to the station and we talk about how things went. 
So we're always training, always preparing, and always trying to be better. And if you're crippling some of our ability by taking away some of our tools at certain times, um, we talk about this in the suicide prevention podcast, that, that's, that doesn't, not only does that not help us and doesn't make us feel safe, it's going to stress us out most of the time. And it, it takes away our ability to solve a particularly dangerous problem right? It is, we're not going to just swing the gun around. And if we do that officer needs more training, right? So he's not going to be reckless with it. It's not something like that. Um, and I wouldn't even just say it's a confidence booster. It's, it's feeling like you have everything that's necessary to do the things that you feel you were born or designed or trained to do. However you look at your profession, I feel like it's part of who they are. I know it's part of who I am now and I wouldn't change that. And I'm, I'm going to be buried with a gun. I can guarantee that probably be my 1911. <laughs> Well, and let me say this too. And I think some of that comes also from a lack of education that the officer is protecting his family. And then they don't understand because you haven't talked to him about the things that can go on out in the world and the, and the people you've made mad. And it isn't just the people you've made mad, but every cop in the country has made mad. And then they see you, uh, you know, we always had a plan of action that if we were out in public, with with um, my husband and the kids were with us too that if somebody walked up and called him agent simmons versus you know marshall or whatever and it wasn't anyone that i knew the plan was that the children and i would keep walking get to a place of a safe distance that i could see him and there would be a signal he'd give me if i needed to call 911. too many officers tell their families go to the car I ain't going to the car when I don't know who this is standing here talking to him. That's not a good idea. I need a signal and I need to know either it's okay or it's not. And if you don't educate us about it, as soon as someone walks up and starts talking to you, we're going to get all up in your business. Well, I'm his wife and these are his kids. And, and this may not be somebody you need to be making those introductions to. So when I knew that, it, it tells me, even off duty, these are things we have to be aware of, especially prior to our children's lives being threatened, then I realized that there's a, there's a risk out there. So I want you to have that gun. And of course, then I always started carrying a gun once the kids' lives were threatened because they were with me most of the time. So I think it's just lack of education and understanding about what this lifestyle is because officers have admirably tried to protect their families so much. You know, we don't have to scare them to death, but let's at least give them enough information that it makes sense that I would carry a gun all the time. Yeah. And I know Grossman talks about it and I'm a big fan of Jordan Peterson for any of you who have ever talked to me in person. I, I conversation always circles around to something he's talked about. And there was one thing that he touched on that I thought was really important that I think is kind of key to this, to helping you understand the natural state of society and people is, is chaos, is madness, right? We live in a society that's, that we're very well cultured. We, we all function because we trust each other not to kill each other. Um, but unfortunately, mm -hmm. those things happen. They're just more rare, right? They don't touch you in your life every day necessarily, which is why it's so tragic when it does. But that's what we train yes. for. That's all. We're not saying that the whole world's out to get us or that we're afraid of getting murdered right now by everyone. It's just we just want to be prepared for that one instance, right? And God willing, we go our whole lives or our whole careers never having to deal with that, right? But we want to be prepared if we do. We don't want to be unprepared. <laughs>
and that's that's the biggest thing. Don't take that preparedness away from your officer, I would say. Um, it's something that they can take great pride in and that you can take a lot of comfort in knowing that they're so prepared. And if you so choose as a spouse to join in on that preparedness, go out to the range with them, get ready and uh, be just as dangerous as they are. That's a great thing. Um, a great uh, definition I heard once of the word meek, they use that a lot in the Bible. And that word always made me correlate weakness. Um, I didn't know how to yes. translate that very well for me. And one way I heard it described is in its original translation, it means more along the lines of he who carries a sword and knows how to use it, but doesn't. And it just shows that there's there's a level of dangerousness to you, but you're not abusing that power, right? And that's uh, I think that's really important for these officers to have. It gives you a level of humility and a level of um, formidability. I think that's really important to a good, fully functioning member of society. So I think it's good. That's why I, Second Amendment. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. All right, you ready for a last question, Susan? Any other last question, yes. All right, let's do it. So, uh, wife writes from Phoenix. What should we have prepared for losing the one we love in this line of work? And what are some things we should consider now while our heads are clear, as opposed to when we're a wreck and dealing with the death or loss of a loved one? Yeah, yeah that, that's a tough question. That's something that I hate anyone ever has to prepare for. And I learned that lesson when my son went in the Marine Corps before he deployed. And I came home and spread out on my kitchen counter with no preparation was his will, his power of attorney, you know, we're talking about a 21 year old and it freaked his mother out. Unfortunately, these are realities and these are things that you have to have prepared. And I think something departments are getting better about is um, introducing officers and families to conferences and, and trainings about planning these types of things. Uh, the COPS organization, Concerns of Police Survivors, is a great resource. I don't know how much they do on the front end before there would ever be an event, but I certainly know that they are uh, the lifeline for so many spouses after there's a line of duty death. This again is something that, you know, none of us are going to get out of here alive. So we all need to plan what will happen, what our funerals will look like. I'm a big believer that departments I wish would go to something that DEA did at least when we first got in. And that was those emergency contact forms. I filled it out. Marshall didn't. I said who I was most comfortable having come to the house to give me that news. That way I didn't have to panic every time a patrol car or an unmarked car rolled up in my driveway. I got to decide who it was that would come and give me that news. I got to write out the plans for who could pick up children at school. Again, these aren't pleasant things, but these are all things that need to be done and you don't do them after the fact when everybody is an emotional wreck, you've got to do this stuff up front. And again, if you never use it, great. But I think that's a topic we're going to have to spend a lot of time on in October. I hope whoever asked that question will, will stay tuned because that's something that I think we can really spend some time on and speak to in October. But it's about preparation ahead of time, having wills done, talk to financial planners or people out there that will do these things for law enforcement officers and families and get departments to get the the involvement of spouses don't don't let the law enforcement officer decide who the spouse would be most comfortable having come give that information 
it actually made me feel like somebody at DEA cared what I thought and that I actually felt a part of this lifestyle and this family when those type things were filled out by me rather than, than my spouse. So I, that's one that we need to make a note of that we really do. And maybe we can even get somebody from cops or something to come on the podcast and talk a little bit. I know, I know there are packets that some organizations have uh, proud police wives, I believe has one that's a, a, a Facebook page. I'd encourage all spouses to go to, and we'll, we'll pull some more of those resources together for this conversation in October. Yeah. Yeah, I know um, a couple officers that there's, how do I put this? <laughs> there, I know a spouse <laughs> that lost an officer in the line of duty. And I know the, the suffering and the pain that they went through. And that was, honestly, that was the hardest thing to watch, right? Is because we, we mourn for our brother who fell. Um, we also know that he was doing what he decided to do, right? At the same thing that I'm doing, the same thing that I've promised to do. And that I know that they could take my life. But the real sorrow was for the the spouse that was left behind and the children. And we just hoped when, when, it, when it hit like that, it really made sense that preparedness, like we just talked about with training, preparedness for that terrible, awful thing, like you said, happens to all of us, is key to this. So I know speaking to a financial planner has been a huge thing that a lot of people have started doing, what to do with that pension. Um, is it's it's not just about paying off the cars and paying off the house, right? You need to replace the income. That's important, right? So you need to talk to a financial yes. planner, whether that's about investment or about, you know, like whatever that is. I'm not, I'm not a financial planner, so I'm not going to pretend to be, but I know that that's important to set yourself up for continued success down the line, right? You're replacing a financial situation that you were in. That's what that pension is for. So yes. make sure you, you handle that ahead of time and know what you're going to do. Um, Cause to have, a million dollar, you know, line of duty death payment to you when you're in an emotional state, nobody makes good decisions in an emotional state. So that's, that's not a good idea. Be pre-planned for that. Have that situated ahead of time. Um, I know that mm -hmm. sucks to, to be thinking about your lost loved one, the person that was most precious to you. And the only thing you're thinking about is money. I completely understand that that feels shallow on its surface, but long-term you need to take care of yourself and your family as well because that's what that person would have wanted right so don't yes. feel like that's selfish don't feel like that um like a taboo topic those things need to get handled that's why that's part of the reason that they go to work that they have a job right otherwise they'd just be a vigilante running around you know beating up criminals there's 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 part of that is the financial situation where they want to take care of you they want to take care of their family so don't neglect that that's sure. important um also having everything set out for like you said family contacts i think that's big getting people notified, mm -hmm. not leaving all of that on your lap as the mourning widow or widower, that, that would suck to have to deal with that while I'm dealing with all this other stuff, to have to plan a funeral while I'm trying to emotionally handle, how do I tell my kids their wife is dead? That's not yep. things that you want to be juggling, right? You're going to be in a state. So get that stuff sorted out ahead of time. And like you said, Susan, this is definitely something we could talk about for an hour. Um, as far as preparedness, we could yeah. have somebody on who has made people prepare. I think that's a great idea. Um, but I did want to at least touch on it and close on it because I feel like that's something mm -hmm. that every single one of us in the line of duty or the spouses that I think are in the line of duty just in a different way with us, they, that they want an answer to, but they're kind of afraid or maybe unsure how to tackle that. And I think that's a good place to start. Talk to people who know, uh, reach out to a financial planner 
and plan everything you can ahead of time so that that's not what you're doing when you're trying to emotionally stabilize your family. You're going to be the only foundation they have when that crisis hits, if that crisis hits, God forbid. But uh, preparedness is everything. Well, and as we wrap this up, I'm going to ask you to talk about our corporate sponsor there that you had so much fun with a few weeks ago, Ace. Yeah. Yeah. Universal MMA. Um, They're really awesome. You can go check out Jaron. He goes by Danger. Good dude. Um, He's ex-law enforcement. He takes care of law enforcement. We get discounts over there. They're going to be down in Southeast Mesa, um, almost Gilbert, Green Creek area, if you're local around here. Um, If you're not around here, BJJ is a good thing to get into. They do BJJ and striking. Uh, It's a great control tool for what we do. A lot of departments are moving towards it for a training tool. Um, and it is a great stress reliever. There's there's studies. We, he wants to come on the show really bad. We're trying to organize having him come on um, and talk about some of the studies that they've done for PTSD relief and for stress relief and for getting some of that aggression out. It is a great tool. It's a great thing to get yourself involved with. It keeps you healthy, keeps you fit. And down there, they will kick your butt in a good way and you will feel stronger and better for it at the end of that hour and a half. It's a long time to roll, but it's uh, they'll take care of you and it's a really good place to go. So go check them out. Um, their info's on the screen. You can give them a call or just go down there or email them for more information. They have a website too, if you wanna check that out, it has all their info. They have a bunch of good pictures and stuff. So go check them out, guys. They're an awesome sponsor for us. They're our only sponsor right now. Um, if you'd like to be a sponsor of the show or if you'd like to just help us out, um, please contact us uh, through our phone number or our website. You can contact Susan, you can set that up and we'd love to have you on the show or talk about your business or what you do to help law enforcement or to help out the show. So we really appreciate you guys joining us for this and our first live episode. We'll, uh, we'll wait for your feedback and see if this is something that we want to keep doing. Um, I really appreciate everybody who put in the questions and who took the time to message me personally um, or Susan personally and get that info out there. We know that some of these questions can be hard to talk about, uh, but we're grateful that you guys are part of the community and that you're helping us all be better. Um, I know just this last month and a half doing this show has made me a better officer and more uh, more thoughtful about this stuff. So I really appreciate you guys. Uh, I know Susan feels the same way. We, we love what we're doing here and we hope that we can keep doing it. And uh, also on the uh, corporate sponsor there too, it's good for spouses and kids as well. It's also a great thing you can do as a couple uh, if the spouse is into that too. But we do appreciate you listening to us. We hope you will share these podcasts with your friends and uh, on your Facebook pages and everywhere. And if you have questions for us, email us, call us, whatever. We want this show to be something for you. And if we don't have the answers, we'll find somebody who does. So have a great week. Take care. God bless. And again, thank you for tuning in and stick with us for next week.